Oh yeah, I'm totally the whipping boy, and I'm okay with that. Somebody's got to like take it in the ass, and that's apparently me. <laughs> oh, what a way to open the show! <laughs> Dan's going in dry, so. <laughs> oh shit, oh, that's really bad, man. At least Crisco or something. And if you believe it never got any better than Iowa. Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Jeff, that is Melissa from the Good Evening Kitties podcast. Hello. And she has returned to talk about a band with us. Yep. And who are we talking about tonight? Talking about Slipknot. Slipknot. God bless you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this episode. This uh, This was a lot of fun. This brought back a lot of good memories. Well, memories. <laughs> it, was, it was good for me. It, it brought, no. back, it brought yeah. back a time where I didn't have like a, a lot of responsibility and was able to go crazy and have a lot of fun and drink a lot of beer and not worry about anything. Yeah, that, that was totally this episode. Yeah, I went to, to check out the, the... It's been a long time since I listened to it, so I went to, to check out just, just looking through the, the names of the songs. And as I was going through, I was like... Like, I looked at them, I'm like, oh, I know these, yeah. Like, and more and then I get to Pulse of the Maggots, and I'm like, shit, yeah, Pulse of the Maggots, that was my jam. So who in this room, <laughs> who in this room is a maggot? I'll be a maggot. Okay, so Joe's a maggot all day long. And Melissa is a maggot. Pulse, pulse, pulse. Cool. <laughs> so in case you don't know, maggots are how Slipknot identifies their fans. If you're a diehard fan of Slipknot, you got every album, you got the patches on your jean jacket then you like Slipknot and you are a maggot. Uh, if anything, I just probably wrote their name on my Trapper Keeper. That was oh, that, probably that definitely counts. Or like my shoes. Yeah, no, for sure that counts. Yeah, I was just a big Corey Taylor fan. Still am. I'm like envious. There's this thing called Penis Envy. Yeah, totally have it with him. That dude is fan-fucking-tastic. I do have voice envy. I don't know about penis envy. He's a yeah, his nature. voice is great. Yeah, and he's got that extreme voice. So, I and I think with Slipknot, what it is is there's a kind of this idea of if you're into heavy music, you're not allowed to like Slipknot. It's definitely hard for me, you know, whenever I went back and listened to, to this discography because I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those people that's kind of like, yeah, Slipknot's okay, but, you know, I like much heavier stuff or I like stuff that, you know, is more extreme or is more metal or doesn't have that new metal influence or whatever whatever bullshit thing you want to say to to not give a band the credit that they're due. And so this week was a really interesting journey for me because I definitely had a much better time than I expected I would have. Yeah, I kind of just went through even not even with the music and just kind of went through with like just the history of it because, you know, I, I always knew they, they had a lot of people in the band. So I was like... How many did they have? And it looks like it was uh, nine. nine. Yeah. And uh, and really, they don't have a whole lot of... They had a couple people jumping in and out, but really not a whole lot compared to some bands I've seen where it's like you have the one guy that starts it and then every like six months, someone is in and out. Cause like, there's, like Mushroom Head. Because <laughs> there's like creative differences <laughs> or something. Uh, I mean, there were a couple here where like some left because of like, you know, the Christian beliefs or, or things like that. Um, really? Yeah. Before we start talking about jumping in and out, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out 
out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. One of the best things you can do for a podcast is to review them. Let the world know how you feel about that podcast. You can leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts as well as Facebook. If you go to www.facebook.com slash discography discussion, you can leave us a review right there on our Facebook page, and we will read it on the show. I just want to thank everybody that has left us reviews so far. Um, we, we love that feedback from you guys, uh, positive or negative. Uh, we want to hear all of it. We want to hear from you guys. One of the things that we're participating in now is the Amazon Affiliate Links program. What this is, is this is an easy way for you to buy the albums that we talk about on the show. We have it all in one convenient place in the show notes. Every album we talk about tonight will be in the show notes. If you click on the link that we provided next to the album name, it'll take you to Amazon.com to purchase that album. Uh, It does not affect the price for you, but if you do buy through our link, we'll actually get a little bit of a kickback from that, which will help us to pay for production costs and new microphones and, and just good stuff for our studio here. So we appreciate everybody that's helped us out with that. And then there's one really big heartfelt thing I want to throw out to our listeners right now. We just hit over 10,000 downloads on our podcast, which is, uh, might be, uh, might not be a significant number for some podcasts, but for what we're doing and the tight knit community that we've had and that we've been a part of, that's just amazing. And I just want to thank each and every one of you for downloading this podcast, listening to it, subscribing, reviewing, uh, and just sending us messages. We would not do this if we didn't think anybody cared and you guys care. So, uh, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Patreon shout out. I would also like to shout out Dave Cassidy and Jeffrey Santos for being Patreon subscribers. We were actually making enough money on Patreon now to uh, help us pay for our server costs, which is just amazing. Uh, We are indebted to you guys 100%. Uh, If you want to donate to our Patreon page, we actually have content now on our Patreon page that you can only access on Patreon. You pay $1, you can get all all of our hidden podcasts on there, and uh, we'll keep updating those as time goes on. So it's actually a pretty cool thing. If you just want to pay a buck a month, it helps us out. You get more content from us. Uh, But if you don't want to and you just want to listen to the regular podcast every week for free, that's totally awesome, too. And we really appreciate having you. And now Melissa is going to tell us all about the Good Evening Kitties podcast. Oh, yep. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, still doing that. Uh, It's going really good, though. The Good Evening Kitties (laughs) podcast is going great. I'm enjoying every Uh, minute of it. Yeah, it's it's really starting to to pick up and I'm having a good time doing it. In the next couple of weeks, I'll be finishing up uh, reviewing season two and then I'll be moving into season three, which will be pretty exciting because it's got a lot of memorable episodes in that season so i'm excited to get on with that and yeah so if you want to check it out check out the good evening kitties podcast uh you can also uh go to the facebook page and like that so you can get different updates on when episodes come out and things like that but but yeah check it out your one-stop shop for tales from the crypt reviews (laughs) yeah actually she just had our buddy brandon kellum on her show Yep. And uh, it was really cool hearing him talk some Tales from the Crypt with you. Yeah, we had a good time. He's a huge fan, so uh, he was really excited about that. Yeah, he just posted a bunch of pics when he was in his uh, Tales from the Crypt t-shirt. He's he's definitely a, a genuine fan. Mm-hmm. And he's a fun dude. He's he's a great guy. For sure. Yeah, it was great. So I'm going to throw out a little bit of listener feedback. Jeff Sop 3 says, Huzzah for Great Forsaken! Huzzah for Discography Discussion! And huzzah for Tetiket! And that was in regards to episode 33, Tourniquet with Vaughn Gregory. Shout out to Vaughn, all the way from Australia. Sweet. Episode 56, Scar Symmetry. We had a YouTube comment from Max Nystrom. Do crossover thrash episode. I'm going to admit, I don't really know what he means by crossover thrash. I'll help you out. Don't worry about it. I don't know if that's one of my favorite episodes, though. Maybe because I like Scar Symmetry more than a little bit. 
<laughs> we had a tweet from AC, Alt-1. This is in regards to episode 23, Ghost. In preparation for the upcoming Ghost Tour, a friend is attempting to convince me to attend. I went through their albums this week. To gain further insight, I listened to your Ghost episode. Our thoughts are very much aligned. First <laughs> album is unlistenable. The second, while an improvement, isn't much better. Meliora is where I said, okay, I don't mind this. Still not a huge fan, and I don't see the attraction these guys seem to have. They appear to be a gimmick band through and through. That's because they are a gimmick band <laughs> through and through. <laughs> I tell you what, man, if if you listen to that episode, man, go check out his stuff before he did Ghost. That is good shit. I still like Ghost. It's that I must feel the way my Do uncle Do you like felt. Nickelback, too? Nickelback has made a shit ton of money, so I respect them. It doesn't mean I enjoy it. <laughs> That's Fair right. I'm a, da- I'm a true Dan and I'm just giving you shit. Nothing know, but mad man. respect for Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, he did. did yeah, Chuck Gruger married uh, Errol Levine. Are they even together anymore? No, yeah, they're divorced. They I but mean, he did marry her. That was, the first that was bad surprising when I made. saw it. Yeah, she's got some pipes, man. Yeah. She can really sing. Like, I, I know she's gimmicky, but if she would just put the gimmick down and straight up sing, I think she really blows some people away. I. I know I'm not supposed to listen to Avril Lavigne, but I'm telling you, man, she's oh, got a really good voice. Stuff. Yeah, some of her slower she's stuff. She's got is a good. really good voice. All right, you guys got that out of your system. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's fine. So, Dan, tell me about Slipknot. Slipknot is a massive nine member band from the lovely state of Iowa. A no member band? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said nine member. That means no in German. This isn't Germany. It's Iowa, Jeff. <laughs> Fair enough. Is there a bunch the of German immigrants in Iowa? What the fuck? Anyway. I know there are in Missouri. Slipknot is a nine-member band from the state of Iowa. Massively huge. I don't have to explain necessarily a whole lot about Slipknot for you to know who I'm talking about. If you're listening to this podcast and you've never at least even heard of Slipknot, that's 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 a severe issue. You, We'll wait, pause the podcast, go on YouTube, listen to some Slipknot, get back to us so that you've got a little bit of context for where we're going with this. But uh, Slipknot is fronted famously by Corey Taylor, also of Stone Sour, who has become a prolific vocalist in rock as well as metal. The band has also featured Joey Jordanson, who is also very a, a very prolific drummer in metal. So, I mean, there, there's a lot with Slipknot. I think the thing that stands out the most about them is that they all wear giant fucking scary masks. <laughs> Which is weird, because I remember I used to, like, think, when they're playing live, like, do they keep put the micro- microphones inside the masks, or do they do it outside? But apparently there's, like, holes. I watched a YouTube video of them playing live, and Corey Taylor was wearing one of his newer masks, and so you could you could actually see his mouth through there. So I was like, okay, so that part works out. But yeah, I'm, he's got I'm like makeup like, around his mouth. I'm thinking back whenever they had like the mushroom head type masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I fucking said that. <laughs> and uh, when they look kind of like the mushroom head masks, I don't remember there being any like face holes or anything on there. No, no, Corey did. I don't. Uh, some of the others didn't, but Corey okay. did. Yeah, I checked out some of the live shows too because I. So, you know, I read that they're pretty intense and they look pretty fun. Uh, I tell you that they put on a good show for a lot. Like I like when there's a lot of theatrical things into into a show. Uh, I, I kind of think it'd be hard to breathe in some of those masks, especially uh, as a drummer myself to drum with a mask on your face and try to see where everything is. But I guess that some of it's probably muscle memory. But uh, but no, it looked like a pretty fun show. I'm I'm a bit fragile myself. I wouldn't be out in the pit anymore. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, 
I couldn't do that either. Now I'm more of the like concert mom. Like I hold all my friends' stuff, and they go out there, and then I'm like, have fun, and then they tell me how it was. But uh, right. But you know, it's sweet. I'm going to concert fun. with you. I'll help you hold <laughs> yeah, the shit we'll while hold everybody stuff. else goes out there. Just have a good time, guys. Because right now I don't have an excuse. <laughs> right now I'm just like, why is Jeff not? I'll just be on the side making little horns and bobbing back and forth while they... Joe's always in that the pit. sounds... Absolutely. Joe, Joe lives in the pit. I get in the pit if I'm really mad, but um, I'm getting a little too old, a little too fat for that, but Dude, that's, I, that's why just, I commentate on music. I bet you I could talk, talk enough shit before get you pissed off enough that you'd go in. I'm sure you could, Jeff. That's definitely a skill well, you then have. You're, then you're, uh, <laughs> is, is it not? Well, then you're coming in with me. Yeah. No, I'm holding your shit. Well, it doesn't matter. You're coming in. While you in. go in, Mo- yeah, Melissa yeah, and I we'll are going to hold the stuff. We'll have you a guys little flag so you can find us when you get out. <laughs> we like, we're here. So with Slipknot, I think the thing that was unique about Slipknot is that they came out at a time when really I think the biggest genre of heavy music at that time, you know, mid to late 90s was new metal. And they were very much categorized as such. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that they had a DJ in the band. You know, they had they wore jumpsuits, which was kind of a, a signature of new metal at the time. They were tuned down to what A flat, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> strings are barely hanging off the guitars. Um, but the interesting thing about Slipknot, especially with me being like a kind of an elitist metalhead asshole type, it's interesting that when I'm listening to this. One of my favorite things about this week's preparation was pointing out all the different styles that are actually on a Slipknot album. And there, there is a lot. So, like, their first record is highly regarded as one of the greatest new metal records to ever be released. And it's funny to me because it's hardly new metal. It's a, it's a it's very... It's partly new metal. It's got new, it's got new metal elements True. to it. Uh, more, most notably in the vocals, yes. In Corey Taylor's uh, Corey Taylor's uh, delivery, delivery, he he screams very intensely, very pissed offedly, and and he, then sings like an angel. He sings like an angel, <laughs> sings a little gruff, does a little bit of rapping. Yeah, you know? as I say, his rhythmic delivery has a lot to do with it. I think rhythmic delivery He's, is really a really good PC term for rapping because he <laughs> doesn't <laughs> rap necessarily. You know, because you can't really say, you know, it's not like it's not like a Linkin Park or a P.O.D. or something like that, where it's like a notable R&B influence. It's not hip hop on purpose. Right. It's just rhythmic. Yeah. Like Jeff said, it was perfect. Rhythmic delivery. You know, um, it's. Can you say that again? He's all over the place. No. He said Jeff's right. <laughs> no. And I think we're going to probably cut that from the podcast. So the thing is, is that. uh it really is intense, and really for me, this is amazing because you start off with this song that's a whole bunch of fucking numbers, and I'm not going to read them all off here, but it's just an intro track, and there's a voice sample on that that just starts saying over and over again, the whole thing, I think it's sick. The whole thing, I think it's sick, and then they slow it through the whole thing, I think it's sick. You know, like it, it's really cool. They speed it up. They slow it down. It just creates this really kind of crazy atmosphere with all this shit going on going on in the background and it's a really good primer oh my god it is because whenever they kick into the song which is also called sick (laughs) it is out of the gate one of the most aggressive songs that i have ever heard and so it's kind of weird whenever i'm listening to this back because i'm like 
I'm going into this thinking, okay, it's going to be another new metal band. So this is not going to be as heavy as I remember it being. This is not going to be as intense as I remember it being. And it absolutely delivered in every respect. I mean, it was aggressive as fuck. I mean, Corey, Corey Taylor's screaming. He comes in, enemy, show me what you want. I mean, like that was just, I couldn't believe the ferocity that he brought to the table with that song. And the drumming is insane because there's like what three guys playing drums. I mean, you got Joey Jordanson's in there playing playing your standard drum kit. Yeah. And then you've got a fucking clown with a baseball bat, <laughs> and then some asshole with a super long nose mask playing like a, like he's an actual percussionist. And then you've got clown hitting a fucking uh, like beer keg with a baseball bat. Yeah, I think it's like the one drummer and then the two percussionists. Yeah. That always stood out to me when I was younger looking at the band. I was just like. You know, how, with having the band with that many people, and I found it kind of impressive that they could have at least nine people for a good decade before they started swapping members. Like a lot of that doesn't happen, you know, when you're in a band that big. Uh, but yeah, the, the having the extra percussion is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I dug it because how rhythmic it is, and like whenever you you crank the shit up, and you have more than just the drummer, and you actually have a couple of percussionists added on top of that, just additional layers. Mm-hmm. I think it really brings out like a like a a tribal animalistic feel inside you when you're listening to it. Whenever you have something like a lot of beats and it's real heavy like this is, I mean it just how how can you not like just like get your blood boiling and listen to this stuff? I mean it's great. I I, I love it. Like I there, we were actually Dan and I earlier tonight we were talking about uh, refused and how we both love that and how like heavy we thought it was went back and listened to it that might be a precursor to my album of the week but going back and listen to it it was you know it's not nearly as heavy as i thought going back and listening to this it's like holy shit this is just as heavy as i remember this is fucking awesome yeah i mean this was like a, a total trip down memory lane in a very good way and i even though yeah there's some new metal elements this and the next album, Iowa, totally hold up for me. I, I still love listening to this stuff. I think it's a lot of fun. And if people give me shit about listening to it, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, sometimes I care. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me roll my windows up because I don't want them to hear what I'm listening to because they might give me shit. This one, I'm like, yeah, fuck you. I don't care. Well, something I noticed checking out the discography of Slipknot <laughs> this week is I was really enjoying a lot of the fast-paced, heavier songs. And, it, and, and then, they, you know, they have a couple of slow ones they throw in or softer ones. And, and those are great because you can really get to hear Corey's voice and everything. And it's nice. But it's still I, I felt myself really craving for the harder stuff. I was like, OK, that's nice. And then like kind of moving on. Uh, but yeah, like like this song. This song's great. Was this Wait and Bleed? Yeah, Wait, Wait and Bleed. bleed yeah. yeah. A.K.A. the reason Dan listens to Slipknot. <laughs> well, this is the reason why most people listen to Slipknot is Wait and Bleed. It's not just Dan. I mean, th- <laughs> this is legitimately the song that put him on a map. As I'm looking at at Joe's uh, Google Play account, and I'm like seeing all the plays. It's like three, four, wait and bleed, 20-something. I think it's like 23 that I see from here. 
my eyes suck, so I can't. You can't tell. blame me for Google and their bad shuffles. You know, you've got thousands or hundreds oh, of a song bullshit. of a songs that a single band has available, and of course they pick the big single. Oh yeah, yeah. So Joe the apologist, what he really means to say is "Wait and Bleed" is a fucking awesome song, <laughs> and he listens to it on repeat. It absolutely is. Actually, my favorite song on this record is "Spit It Out." Probably because it's the first song I heard that made me actually want to sit down and figure out how to play it. Slipknot is one of the most intense, energy-fueled, heavy bands that you can listen to. I wonder, from a consumer standpoint, is their heaviness anything in particular? Because they've got a lot of heavy things working in their favor. When they first started doing what they do and are known for, the nine people on stage, that wasn't really a thing. It was at a few underground shows, because I can't count how many punk rock shows. (laughs) Good point, but not yet. I can't count how many underground punk shows I've been to where the whole thing is you've got the band and then they've got 12 people on stage basically having a party to make them look good. It almost seemed to me like this was something that they decided to do one day we need to make ourselves look bigger well let's just get our buddy over here to put a mask on and he can stand on stage with a baseball bat and point at people well he's got to do something well okay well hit hit that beer keg on the one <laughs> it's like the guy that always skanked on skate stage for mighty mighty boss tones he's like part of the band but he really doesn't do a whole <laughs> lot well there's that and then there's the fact that slipknot is not the first band to have almost a dozen masked people on stage. Okay, so it's no secret that Mushroom Head was a band before Slipknot was. However, I can't verify whether they were wearing the masks or not. Slipknot and Mushroom Head are two vastly different bands. Two vastly different areas. Very different lyrical content, very different almost everything. The only thing that people are bitching about with Slipknot and Mushroom Head is the slight similarity between mask types which as far as i understand whenever the both of the bands first started their masks weren't custom i think they were just masks that they found right am i oh, just so walking they, like, down bought- the street and looking at dumpster and they're like hey here's some fucking masks or, or they bought from a retailer that you know, right they, right they bo- they- all their masks came from china and then they just kind of adorned them after the fact entirely possible so that that's all I'm really going to say on that subject is that, yes, Mushroom Head was a band beforehand. Mushroom Head sounds nothing like Slipknot. The bands really don't have a whole lot in common, and that's the end of that. Nobody ever mentions Green Jello or Guar when they talk about masks. Ah, uh, yeah, Guar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, well, like, more of a costume. Like, they're, yeah, so they're, we need Zach on here. Guar's a, whole, yeah, Guar's a whole thing. But <laughs> the, uh, the thing about Slipknot that was very interesting to me was that yeah there were new metal elements to this record however there's a lot of really cool stuff there too such as like there's death metal segments which nobody talks about because most people that listen to death metal don't listen to slipknot that's very true so they're not going to hear that you know they're not going to see it because you have this weird thing of where you're you know you go into this really intense death metal part but you've still got Corey Taylor screaming over it, like John Davis from Corn, And so it's kind of this, like, okay, well, 
he's not delivering in the of death metal, so I'm not interested. And they're wearing masks. What's up with that? And all these kids in corn shirts are listening to it. So I think this is a band that kind of got shunned more just because of their image and the fact that they were a new band. And I think a lot of the old school death metal fans from the early 90s were just like, get off my lawn. You know, I don't, this is not real metal. This is whatever. You know, here's this one song where he's basically rapping on it. And why the fuck do they have a DJ in the band? I don't understand that. And uh, the whole, I think you, you hit it perfect. It's the whole old curmudgeonly get off my lawn. This is different. But it's it still has certain things that are derivative of you know the original and that that's the that's the what I like about Slipknot is they're kind of like the melting pot they're the amalgamation of a ton of different stuff and all different kinds of heavy music yeah and that's what in my opinion makes it fun is the fact that uh, they are versatile. Although I do have to say, uh, and, and I knew Dan knows that I'm going to do this, and it's Joe's fault that he brought it up. We spit it out. God, do I hear Zebrahead whenever Corey Taylor is is in Spit It Out? It sounds so much like Zebrahead. It's not even funny. Okay, that's all. That's my only thing I'm going to say about that this one time. But I had to say it because go listen to some Zebrahead and then go listen to Spit It Out, and you're like, oh wow. That's very similar. Well, at this point, I hear, you know, elements of new metal. I hear elements of death metal. I actually hear a little bit of that, you know, kind of late 90s metalcore in there, too. Like, yeah, obviously a band like Coalesque is going to be heavier than Slipknot. That's a given. Bands like Converge, you know, coming from a more purely punk rock type of mentality is not going to be with Slipknot. But, like, I feel like what they were doing was really interesting, like, really... um, like like, the, like a blender of styles, whereas, you know, bands like Coalesque or, or Converge were doing things that were, you know, very much cemented in the genre of hardcore, whereas Slipknot just has elements of that, whereas they're not a pure band. And so I think that's why people had a little bit of trouble, you know, heavy music fans had a little bit of trouble categorizing the band. So I think it was, in a lot of ways, you just looked at the masks, you looked at the jumpsuits, you looked at the DJ, and you said, that's oh, it's new metal. And just moved on past it, but... Don't forget about the obvious misspelling of the name. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> um, I'm not going to worry about that at this point. <laughs> it's right now. It's one of those, uh, you know, new metal things. Well, yeah, so I mean, it's just kind of one of those weird things where... I think it's what Toomey said and kind of what I believe it was Lauren from Roach Coach said when we talked to them. It's not like they sat down and planned it out the way it happened. It's just a summary of what was going on at the time. It just happens to be very much an alternative to everything that was kind of being shoved down the mainstream pike. You had your Panteras and Metallicas and Alice in Chains and the leftovers from Grunge, and then you had New Metal. So we just kind of said, okay, well, what's the alternative to that? Well, it's heavy detuned guitars, and maybe this DJ thing works, but then we're going to do, like, heavy vocals. Yeah, and I think there's a certain sense of almost nihilism that's on this record. And I'd be curious to know if it, how, how thought out it really was, too. Like, like, dear Corey Taylor, did you plan it this way, or was it just an accident? Well, like, in reference to um, what, like what he's saying or just the way the band sounded? 
everything as a whole. The way it sounds, the way it flows, the way the songs are written and structured. Well, I definitely hear a lot of like nihilism in this. Like, I know that Slipknot's always been the band with like the pentagrams and the satanic imagery and the goat's heads, but I think the goat's heads had more to do with the fact that they were from fucking Iowa than it had to do with <laughs> like Satanism. But they definitely give off this like really, um, I don't want to use the word trashy because that's kind of mean. But, like, they give off this kind of, like... Redneck. It's a circus, and it's creepy, and, you know, there's little children that are laughing creepily, and, you know, again, circuses, you know, and and clowns are really scary if you really think about it. Like, it's kind of, like, it reeks a little bit of that, like, almost... ICP? Juggalo type of... (laughs) I knew where this was going. ...type of thing. And so, like, that that always bothered me to a certain extent. But with Slipknot, I could get past it because of how heavy it was. But there's a, definitely a lot of, like, nihilism. And, like, if, if we're going to call it Satanism at all, it's going to definitely be more of the more of the atheist type Satanism where, you know, you're, you're just doing what you choose to do versus you don't actually, like, worship a real deity or a real being called Satan. You know, like, you're not into that sort of stuff. But I thought that on this record, really, most of the lyrics here are just about, A, how fucked up the world is. How fucked up they are. And how fucked up they are. But, like, I don't get the sense of evil, necessarily, that the band's trying to pull off. I think think on this record, Corey Taylor was a very angry individual. But anger is kind of understandable and kind of relatable, especially if you're a kid in the late 90s and you're listening to Slipknot. You know, like, I think I think what he had to say, you know, like, in songs like Spit It Out, he talks about, you know, like, basically, like, posers or people that aren't, you know, people that aren't true and, you know, like, that don't see the world the way he sees it. You know, and I he, think... Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. And he's frustrated by that. And then you have songs like Surfacing, you know, fuck it all, fuck this world, fuck everything that you stand for, don't belong, don't exist, don't give a shit, don't ever judge me, you know? And, like, that is really powerful if you're 16 and live in the Midwest and, you know, because you're, you, you feel like you are being fucking religiously oppressed by everything and everyone. Yeah, you're actually hitting on what I was going to say, and that is the whole, you know, correlation that, that I, at least emotionally that we can have with them in the fact that, you know, we're in a redneck wasteland living in the Midwest. I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, St. Louis, we're part of St. Louis, but we're far enough away from it that we're missing, you know, the rotting cesspool of gang violence. Instead, we're, you know, in the meth head capital of the world, you know, so we totally get where he's coming from and the anger and the frustration, you know, it for at least for us, from our perspective, growing up with this, it's totally relatable. Uh, it, it, it totally touches a nerve. Even if you you never even knew these guys were, you know, a bunch of crazy dudes on stage in masks, it, it really wouldn't even matter. I, I, I think it would touch a nerve with most people who uh, feel disenfranchised. That this is, this is the music for everybody else, and I think a lot of us here feel that way. You know, this, this stuff was like, it, it was like they were almost preaching to us. It was fan-fucking-tastic back then. At least that's how I felt about it. Well, I think, you know, it definitely struck a chord with me when I was younger. 
you know, I look back on a lot of the stuff that is said on this record, especially in even Iowa, and just think like, oh, geez, you know, like it's it's almost cheesy, but you know, I oh, think totally it was cheesy. it was very passionately done, and I think one of the questions that I always have about a band like this that gets really popular is how, like we're talking we, next week, we're talking about Azalee dying, and you know, they're another band that got massively popular, and. I always question like why like there's nothing about their sound that I think that people would necessarily latch on to however with Slipknot they had a secret weapon they had a silver bullet and that was Corey Taylor's singing voice which it became very because I mean at this time in the late 90s you had you know metallic hardcore bands you had hardcore groups you had death metal bands you had these people that had this really aggressive approach that wasn't anything new in the late 90s in case anybody's whose first heavy band was Slipknot, there is much heavier stuff that took place prior to Slipknot. Mm-hmm. However, it wasn't something that you really like got stuck in your head, or that you would that you would hear that you would be stuck with you for days after that. Whereas with Slipknot, you have a song like "Wait and Bleed" that is every bit as heavy as any other Slipknot song is on that record. However, Slipknot had a really good way of. A writing really catchy hooks into their music. Doesn't say hooks, so yeah, like because exactly. like surfacing doesn't have any clean singing on it at all, but it's still catchy as hell with that chorus. And then you've got a song like "Wait and Bleed," where Corey Taylor shifts from this aggressive, pissed-off vocalist to you know almost this like angelic. I wouldn't even say it's pop singing, but it's very clean. It's very smooth, and it makes a really great contrast to the rest of everything that's going on. And the human brain kind of just can't let that go. Like, it's it's very catchy, and it, it, you hold on to it mentally for, for days, weeks, months, years after that. Yeah, I think you're right, because the whole uh, going f- – and, and I, I've kind of beaten this, this, this horse to death on the, on the podcast. I love the whole aspect of – of clean singing and then just being brutal right in afterwards. I like the whole dichotomy of it. And, and it's it when this came out, there wasn't a bunch of that out there. And he just did it so well. And as time goes on, I mean, he just proves uh, that he, as time went on, he went to finishing school. I mean, you thought he was good on weight and bleed on his clean singing. And as time went on, you're like, holy cow, this dude's got a voice. He's unbelievable. Then we went into Iowa. Oh. And we got more of it. Iowa. Dude, this. <laughs> Dan and I were talking earlier tonight. This is the peak. This is this is Slipknot. This is. See, I got to disagree. Oh, I think a little bit. I mean, it's good. It's not like it like was a precipitous fall after Iowa. Well, no, I mean, there's some great songs like like Wait and Bleed, and, and I, I was checking out some of the earlier stuff like like that one, and then like I, I kind of liked Prosthetics. That was that was kind of fun. Uh, yeah. But once I get to Iowa, like I was looking through the through the track listing, and I really didn't know that many except for like Left Behind, and and that's a great song too. But I think for me, because I'm like a, a couple years younger, uh, I by then I'm an old fart. Is that what you meant to say? <laughs> that's okay. Well, well in 2001, well in 2001, I was 15, and I was just kind of starting to get into that kind of stuff, you know. And so by time that I was imbibing alcohol legally, <laughs> so by I get to the, you know, by time I get to 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 that one, that was fine. But like, but for me, it wasn't until the next one. So, but yeah, but this is still a great one. But but yeah. I was just saying, like, I, I think you're right. There's not like a a particular standout track on Iowa. Yeah, 
for me, it's the collective whole that makes Iowa. It's just like brutal from start to finish. Like just like sitting down and listening to the whole album. Yeah, and I'm, like a, being able to, I'm yeah. a huge album listener, and I think that's what did it for me on this one. I, I know that it when Corey was writing the lyrics for this, he was like having tons of issues with substance abuse and alcohol. And I know that it, it, it's it's terrible, but I think a lot of times that pain uh, makes beautiful art. I was almost going to say the same thing, and then I was like, I know it's bad, but man, there's so much good music because of that stuff. Yeah, like I'm a big Stone Temple Pilots fan. I mean, I'm, I, I still like rock. Iowa was a huge step up from the Slipknot self-titled. There was a certain sense of Slipknot shocked us to death on their first record. They really did. I mean, maybe not old school metal fans. They know better, but people that were just getting into the style at the time, it was a huge, shocking record. So I think with Iowa, the expectation was that they were going to have to somehow one-up this and just go completely off the deep end, which is absolutely what they did uh, because they are heavier on this record scarier and I actually think that the lyrics almost go out of their way to sound more evil than they did on the first record because the first record a lot of what was said could be chalked up to frustration but on Iowa I almost feel like they were more intent on being the aggressor than they had been than they had been prior previously that's always been my review the goal on this record must have been let's be as absolutely heavy as possible well yeah and they were i mean they they were absolutely insane and like almost scary to the point of like there's a song called or there's a song where he at the beginning literally the first thing he says is i want to slit your throat and fuck the wound <laughs> and like it's just like, <laughs> like fuck right. uh okay um <laughs> that's weird and it's kind of funny too because like you know stone sour being as big of a band as they are stone sour is a very much like respected like alternative rock band you know and like they're they're very popular a lot of people know them how many people that are like really into stone sour re- remember that back on iowa this same guy was like i want to slit your throat and fuck the wound like yeah. what i think a lot of people that are into stone sour forget that the first stone sour record was basically slipknot without Slipknot because Corey Taylor's vocals were very much in the same style. He was still screaming and, and it was singing just the music rapping. was a little more rock. I'm sorry. He was rhythmically delivering and it was still a good record, but we're not talking about stone sour tonight. Nope. I mean, wh- what I think is interesting too with this type of band is some of this, you wouldn't think would be a lot of like radio signals, like singles or whatever. Um, but they do. There's quite a bit of them that was played on the radio that, you would maybe not, you know, think so, but that's that's pretty much. I remember Left Behind and like Wait and Bleed and stuff. I think I heard those all on the radio. Was how I pretty much started learning about those. Uh, well, let's let Jeff tell us all about My Plague. What about it? Do you like the song? I like the whole album, dude. Didn't you tell me earlier this week that it was a standout cut? I did. Yeah. Okay. Well, it must have been. <laughs> well, it did get him nominated for Best Metal Performance in 2003. Oh. So. Well, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't do my homework like Melissa did. <laughs> I all I do is I just listen. I'm like, hey, I really like that. That sounds fantastic. So apparently, other things. people thought the same way I did. Yeah. So that means it must be wrong. <laughs> well, no. I mean, this this song was really popular because it was released on the Resident Evil soundtrack, 
for the oh. first Resident Evil movie. And there's an interesting history to it, too, in that there's an actually the version that appeared on uh, the Resident Evil soundtrack was significantly less heavy vocally than the actual album song. You oh, is it one of those again? Yeah, you run into that sometimes with bands where I guess the record label or whomever will get the band to re-record the song or record a different vocal take for it that they can use as promotion because the general populace, even in 2018, is not going to be that receptive to somebody just belting it out like that. Like just so they made it. it they made it to where you could understand it. The yes. words more. Yes, yeah. so, more radio was, friendly. Yeah. Yes, and so that was the song that you hear during the credits at the end of Resident Evil. Is hmm. is my plague, which is funny because I think this song is easily another wait and bleed. Like it's yeah. just got. It's, I think I agree with that. It's got that melodic chorus. You know, it's got the heavy buildups. You know, it just it's definitely gives us more of the same of what we had on the self-titled because. With Slipknot on Iowa, they were so much more over the top than they were on the first album that, like, I mean, there's more death metal on Iowa than there was on uh, on self-titled. Oh, that's their heaviest album, period. And I don't think it's close. They were in a really dark place when they recorded this, and they'll be the first ones to, to admit that. They, they just had a a lot of challenges in general and there was a lot of anger and frustration that was let out when they recorded Iowa and I think I kind of like that I I like the fact that it was just brutal and in your face I mean this was from cover to cover I mean this just kicked ass from start to finish and there's not like you know like Melissa said there's not really one particular standout track and I'm kind of okay with that. I, I don't listen to the, I haven't listened much to the radio in the last 15, 20 years. So I don't really, I don't pay attention to, to, to what makes it to the radio, but listening to this one from start to finish, I really don't have a particular track on this that I want to skip like I do on a lot of their other albums. That being said, I think that there's not a, uh, their best songs, nowhere close are they, are their best songs on this album. But I think it's their best collective effort. That's just, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. I kind of feel like the next record is the best collective effort. It's not as heavy or as intense as Iowa, but Volume 3, the subliminal verses. So what you're saying is that is Dan has very, infected me. Very well put together. Thank you, Rick Rubin, and your glorious mansion. This album, like, definitely stood out more to me because, I mean, around when this came out, I was, you know, 18 and I was definitely more into more of the, I mean, I liked all kinds of stuff, but a lot of the harder stuff. And I remember Duality on the radio all the time and just, and just listening to it. Duality was played to death. To death. <laughs> to the point of non-enjoyment. I don't know because, well, for a while. And then when I went to listen to it again, I was like, oh, yeah, because then the, it's got that nice guitar line with it, like the... Uh, the <laughs> like they do that it's just so catchy thank you for that sound bite <laughs> <laughs> he's got that forever just remember that and so yeah like that one really stood out and then my favorite part of this record was the songs that never got played on the radio the blister exists mm-hmm. welcome even the first half of vermilion yeah i think the second one was a little more popular part yeah, two it was all vermilion part yeah. two and duality and before i forget 
Yeah, before I forget. Exactly. Yeah, I have to admit, my favorite Slipknot song is on this album. What is that, Jeff? What do you think it is, Joe? Take a guess, Joe. Everybody gets a guess that name is not Daniel Terry. <laughs> I say this should be really easy. I'm gonna go. It the, should be. I'm gonna go the Nameless. Nope. Yeah, it's definitely before I forget. Nope. I went straight up fucking ballad for my favorite Slipknot song. How about that? Which one, Vermilion or Vermilion Part Two? No one Part is surprised. Two. Part Two. So yeah, that's, that's what we're saying. The Dude, one that was more popular. I can't tell you how many times that I sang this. This is when I don't know if he actually ended up getting a vocal coach for this album, but his clean singing on this album is in another another dimension compared to the first two albums. His he is so much better on his clean singing on this album. If there's one thing I have to say that I really enjoy, I didn't realize how complete of an artist he was until Volume 3 came out. This is it's amazing. In Vermilion Part 2, I just like the fact that it's stripped down and it's really just the focal point is Corey and, you know, overlaying his other his vocals on top of himself over and over again. It's 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 really beautiful. I mean, you realize how talented the dude is as, as a vocalist. Now, I've never I don't know if like I was talking about the shows that they do. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever been to one. I I might have seen them at like a festival or something, but do they do they play those the like Vermilion Part Two in a show? Like would they? Because it's usually like so high energy and crazy, like that they would bring it down. They absolutely have. They have. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say that's definitely a question for Joe. Let everyone take a break and then we're <laughs> strip it down and everybody go get their beer. Everyone except for wrap me. up their wounds. Well, the I, same as I'm with my lighter, <laughs> not my smartphone, my lighter. That's well, right. well, the same person that likes this record, especially me. The first couple times you listen to it, it's great. It's Iowa with a little less. We're just pissed off and heavy. A little, a little bit less, more. A little less on the self-titled side. But then you start to get worried as you listen to it because what came out before this was Stone Sour. So you kind of started to feel worried that Corey Taylor was gonna bleed into both bands and we were going to lose our identity and it wouldn't matter which band you were listening to it was going to be one product at some point that didn't happen thankfully but songs like duality and before i forget kind of led you down that path yeah i think that before i forget sounds like a stone sour song like the first for the from the first stone sour album they definitely went more melodic less heavy but stone sour's first album a lot of people forget it has a lot of similarities to slipknot it does. Vermilion should have been on, especially Vermilion Part 2 should have been on the Stone Sour. Probably. But I'm going to just start this off with saying that I don't think that this is a bad record overall. However, you have to look at it from the perspective of somebody that predominantly likes heavy music. This sounds like the same band but to me, this was kind of like the more mainstream record in the sense that, like, the stuff that people found unpleasant about Slipknot was toned down significantly on this record. And the thing that bothers me about it is I was just listening to this on my sound system at home. This doesn't punch anywhere close to as hard as Iowa did. And that's just talking about the production quality itself, not necessarily what riffs they were playing 
or whatever, but for whatever reason, this record sounds extremely flat to me. It's muted. It's very muted, and it just doesn't it doesn't punch me in the face like Iowa did, and that's that's a major concern for me because not only do we have less than stellar like rockability to it, I guess, but it's the songs are a little bit more mainstream sounding. They they sound a little bit more like Stone Sour, a little bit less like Slipknot. And like the drumming's there, like there's really great songs on this record, like uh, like Opium of the People, um, The Blister Exists, Pulse of the Maggots. Yep. You know, like yep. there, there's definitely some good Slipknot stuff in here, but it just kind of almost seems like they had half of a record written, and then the other half was okay. Well, let's use these Stone Sour songs that weren't <laughs> that didn't make it onto the album, and maybe that's being really harsh. But, like, I just, to me, this is when it started to kind of change for me. Because I thought the self-titled in Iowa were awesome. But then you get to this record, and it's like, okay, th this had to have been how people felt, like, when Metallica went from Injustice for All to the Black Album. You know, there's a little bit of an adjustment there that's like, whoa, whoa wait, 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 what's this? Yeah, and because I, I my favorite is, song is the one that should have been on Load or Reload. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is, the, but I mean, this is... This is basically the band that, you know, an album ago was slitting my throat and fucking the wound. Oh, and dude. now they're a band that now they're a band that sings songs about like relationships. But this could also be like cuz what uh, Jeff was saying earlier about they were going through a hard time during Iowa like were yeah. they maybe a little more not hard time right now so then possibly. I like mean, maybe. Iowa, I know that at least for Corey, he definitely got cleaned up in between the two. Yeah, so I mean, maybe he just came up with a couple different more softer songs that he would, either him or someone in the band was one to throw in. Because yeah, there is a difference. It's definitely, it kind of goes up and down in the heaviness of the album. Yeah, there's uh, less pain talking in yeah. this album. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's the, that's the catch-22 for heavy music fans, right? Because I feel very much the same way about bands like Stained. I can't stand anything Stained has put out in the past 10 years. But I liked their first two albums because they were just racked with pain and yeah, much depression awesome, and, 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 and being angry or whatever. So it's like as a human being, I can appreciate that Corey Taylor, you know, doesn't want to kill everybody that he sees anymore. But at the same time, as a heavy music fan, that's what I want. Well, that's why he write the, wrote the fun little anthem of Pulse of the Maggots. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it's yes. To but, appreciate all his maggots. Yeah, but fan, I don't know, man, fan <laughs> appreciation songs. Are I lame. know, I know. I mean, at the time, I only just knew that because if you tell me now, because yeah. I'm not a maggot, apparently. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if you wrote it on your Trapper Keeper, you're a fucking maggot. But that song, like I said, when I when I went through that, for some reason, that one really stood out with me. I don't know if it was because at that time, I just liked that kind of like, uh, because it starts out with like an air raid siren. So it's like all this like shit going down and like I don't know if I was just like, yeah, that's right. And then it's got a great drum drum beat in it and everything and it's just like I don't know. That song was always one that stood out. Uh even though I'm not always huge on like uh spoken word intros, but this one kind of works. Oh, they do a lot of that. Uh Corey Taylor does a lot of that like I'm just going to talk. <laughs> He's like, "What's up, guys?" But it sounds really cool. I mean, you know, like on duality, you know. Yeah. And again, it's like Jeff said, it's more rhythmic delivery than it is talking necessarily, but yeah, it's like straight poetry or something. It's yeah, he def yeah, that's another good one too. Like I thought he sounded a little bit like a slam poet. Yeah. Because does. I mean, when, when volume three came out, it wasn't cool to like rap in a song and a heavy song anymore, you know? So, uh, 
So yeah, that's a that's an interesting distinction, and I bet. I bet actually you're probably onto something with that, that, that that's probably what they were going for. Yeah, it actually made me think more of, um, I don't think it like, uh, I think a Zach De La Rocha is more like a slam poet than like a, a rapper, for example, especially like early rage. I wonder if there was some influence there as far as like uh, how his delivery was. I will say this, I think Dan and I both suffer from our elitist nostalgia we, you know, that's why we like Iowa so much more. You know, we're looking for that pain. We're looking for that anger. And we've been doing this podcast long enough that, you know, it's almost like we've been desensitized, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, <laughs> that like, happens when you listen to Pig Destroyer. Jeff. Yeah, well, that, right, <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going. I'm I like, know. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to explain how fucking aggressive and terrifying the that Iowa was, but then I'm like, well, it wasn't nearly anything compared to Prowler in the Yard. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, like, but you have to look at it all from from perspective and. And I think that that's the thing about these Slipknot albums is, you know, I'm going to I'm going to break character a little bit on the podcast and say that I don't think that uh, like I don't think that Slipknot has a bad album. You know what I mean? Like they have they have an they average have, they have album. Five. They, they've so got five albums. And yeah, I don't think that they've ever fucked up. Like I haven't yeah. listened to any that I've been like. Oh my God, this is terrible! Like, there's not mistakes on the record or anything. Yeah, there's good things in each. However, like Jeff said, though, looks like I'm so fucking desensitized by it, and I think once we move into all hope is gone, that you know, like, this is because the first thing I noticed about all hope is gone was that it was heavy again. Actually, they they yeah. had stepped it up quite a bit from what we'd had on Volume Three because Volume Three sounded like a pop record. It was mixed like a pop record, so the guitars were muted. They didn't mm -hmm. ring out like they should. Hang there on was a no Rick Rubin says you're welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It wasn't a pop record. It was a Rick Rubin production. So a pop record. Okay. So, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a big Rick except Rubin for, fan. Except for Rain and Blood. Uh, well, so God Loves Underwater. I'm a huge God Loves Underwater fan, and he worked with them, and you can definitely tell there's Rick Rubin fingerprints on Volume 3. Yes, he has his own style of production that he thinks is perfect which it works when it works it fails when it fails True. and volume three is an example of it working i'm with dan on this one all hope is gone i saw it on the shelf i picked it up i said i am buying this i looked at the track listing i saw a song called psychosocial it's pretty good i just put it in <laughs> and hit play and said this is gonna be good and Oh, I'm so happy this song exists. This yeah. is in my top 10 heavy songs of all time. I cannot justify that. It's just the truth. Yeah, that one definitely stood out to me when I was... Oh, it's a, it's, damn, it's a damn earworm. It is, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, That's when you know that somebody's done something right. When you can say, it's in my top whatever, and I can't explain why. That's actually not even my favorite track on this album. Uh, Sulfur is like that's that's my shit man that's my jam that's my second favorite song of theirs i listen to sulfur all the time it's it's beautiful and brutal all at the same time and that's that's actually what I, as time has gone on that's really what i've associated outside of iowa with slipknot is 
the fact that Corey Taylor has a ability to deliver the beautiful and the brutal in a way that makes sense. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm a big melodic death metal fan. Sometimes bands just try to be beautiful and brutal because that's what's expected of them. He's got a way of making it work no matter what. I think part of that is just because he's super talented, uh, but I I think he's smart enough now that he's clean and sober-ish. I I don't know if he's 100%, but I I know he's got everything under control at least. Uh, That he's smart enough to know how to make that work, and he does a really good job of it with with his vocals. I think that this record is a perfectly serviceable Slipknot record. And that might sound like there's a little bit of venom in there, but there's not. <laughs> I just think yes, that it sounds like there's some. I just think that it's a perfectly serviceable record. However, even after volume three, and even though this is a step up in the production department, I feel like the music is becoming a little bit more calculated, a little bit less energetic, a little bit less passionate. As in now, it's like, well, the fans want a heavy record, so we'll do that. You know? I kind of um, agree with that. And so it's a little bit more Meshuga, a little bit less... Um, I like Meshuga. You know? No, but it's a little bit it's a little bit more machinery, a little bit less passion. And I, I definitely hear that on the final two Slipknot records because there's heavy guitar parts, there's craziness... But there's nothing on those two records that even comes close to what the first 30 seconds of Sick were. Mm-hmm. You know Agre- what I mean? Like the level of the level of hiss and, and vinegar and just testosterone. You know, like that. that that's just that that tooth crunching aggression is not present anymore in modern day Slipknot. Is there an example of a heavy band that consistently delivered? Aggression on that level. Obviously, Slayer, with one exception. They never stopped no, being heavy. No, because I think Slayer definitely did the same thing. I think I think pretty quickly after Rain and Blood, I think it, it became they figured a out product. A yeah. yeah, and I think Slipknot's doing the same thing here. They're they're settling into their groove. They're doing the safe thing. But, I mean, there's definitely bands that, that have maintained that level of aggression. Um, the first one that I would say probably would have to be like, uh, oh shit, I lost my train of thought. Um, the butcher's hook will do that to you. Well, no, like, I don't know, like a napalm death still holds like napalm death is almost more aggressive than they were when they first started. Either that or the audio equipment's gotten better at capturing it, but you know, or even like a pig destroyer had the same level of intensity throughout both are grind core. Right. Okay. So maybe maybe the argument I'm making is that it should be grindcore, <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I just I think that a lot of bands that are that aggressive, like to Joe's point, I get what he's saying, and that like when you've extended your band this far, I think it's really easy to be pissed off and super passionate on your first two or three records, but to maintain that because like you know if you've made it all the way to record three and you're as big of a band as Slipknot was now like investors are a thing right like the you know producers are a thing um so this is all you know you've got all these other people involved that have their own vision of what the band is about and you know i don't know about you guys but i like money 
Hey Dan, can yeah, I have some money? That's pretty nice. Yeah. You guys got any money I could just have? <laughs> oh you know? no, I, I was asking for money. Oh no, I don't have any money. Oh, but okay. I do like it. I don't it. have any money to give you either. I like it still though. Yeah. So like I think that's that's the whole thing is like I'm not faulting the band for not being pissed off teenagers anymore. Because yeah. they're not. I'm certainly not anymore, you know. So like that's that's a criticism that I have solely from a musical perspective in the sense that what I liked about Slipknot, what attracted me to that band initially, was that juvenile type of rage. But I mean, you could say that about a lot of bands. Absolutely. As they, yeah, as they get and I do, every week. Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> no. uh, and on this episode <laughs> <No>. <laughs> of Discography Discussion. Right. Yeah, maturity and money kind of help tame that, you know, that ferocity. That's just... That's the way of life. Jeff, are you implying that money can buy happiness? Sure can. Money can buy things Fuck that yeah, make you can. happy. <laughs> money can provide financial security that brings happiness. Money brings fucking retirement, and that's... And cocaine. That's <laughs> Fuck the cocaine. Bring on the goddamn retirement. Are you kidding? Yeah, no joke, right? <laughs> but The earlier I can retire, the better if I ever get to retire. But I don't necessarily think that, that this is meritless. I think this is great. I mean... They can still whip out a song like Psychosocial like it's nothing. You know what I mean? Like, they've got that melodic sensibility. Uh, Corey Taylor is an insanely good songwriter. Is he the one who writes most of them, or is it more of a collaborative? I mean, he writes all the lyrics. lyrics okay. but, um, and, the vocal, and the vocal melodies and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, yeah. Slipknot, so, as yeah. far as I understand, is a very collaborative band even to this day. Yes, that, that you have is nine correct. dudes in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're going to have this some... This can't be a one guy does it. Yeah. Now, is but this... I think, our, actually, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think this actually brings up a really good point that Dan had brought up earlier. With so many different voices in a collaborative effort like Slipknot, I think that's why it, there's su uh, such a wide-ranging uh, set of styles. It's because you've got so many voices giving input. I mean, at least that's how I would think about it it's slash look at it is that the fact that if you have so many people that are, are going to have the ability to give input, you're definitely going to be all over the map stylistically. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I think Slipknot's always been kind of a melting pot of styles anyway. So I think, like, it's not that hard for them to change their sound without really changing their sound, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, they, they haven't ever gone so out into left field that I'm like, this is not even anywhere close to what I experienced. I mean, I got that way a little bit the first time I heard Vermillion Part 2, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> Thanks. They, they, wrapped, they buttoned that shit up pretty quick after that, so I wasn't too worried about it. But, like, you know, I definitely, you know, All Hope Is Gone was a really good record. It was kind of a comeback record if you want to look at it that way, but it was a comeback to, you know, maybe what volume three should have sounded like and i know i'm like shitting on volume three and there's a lot of really great songs on there um but just something about the way that record sounds annoys me and i think it just has more to do with the fact that it was that like 2000s like that that pre that pre 2010 production sound that a lot of bands had where all the balls were taken out of the guitar so every rick rubin record since 1995 yes Yes, just the like totally clean. Like this isn't even what it would sound like live. You know, like it doesn't sound better than it would sound live. Like I, well, I, the I just, production is part of the reason why it's commercially successful. It's not really offending anyone, and that 
Right, but that goes against the very nature of a band like Slipknot. The sterilization. The whole reason you're there is to offend everyone. Maybe they just wait for the live shows to do that. Well, yeah, and I'm sure they, they absolutely do. do. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this I've was heard... when Rick Rubin had a reputation for revitalizing or reinvigorating a band's career. I understand why he got that reputation, but I'm concerned as to why we thought he needed to do it for Slipknot. Well, it's the same thing with Death Magnetic and Metallica. You know, everybody loved Death Magnetic because it was the opposite of St. Anger, but it was the opposite in a bad way. Like, it was the opposite in, like, a... It, this is also another super st sterile environment. It's like being in a doctor's office... Hopefully you have a good doctor in your doctor's office like this, but uh, it's just super sterile, super clean. It doesn't smell like anything, you know, but like there's a certain sense of like uncanny valley that comes with that for me. And so like I don't hear the aggression on that record that I hear on literally all of the other ones. I mean, we only had one record like that, Volume 3. I know we've already talked past it, but I just wanted to throw that in there that it just sounded so sterile and so antiseptic it just didn't seem real it didn't seem as it didn't seem as dark the passion didn't seem like it was there well yeah like you were saying it sounded muted yeah like slipknot's there that it's it's obviously slipknot playing the music but like at a seven it's like of all 11. the shit that they did to it because this is a record that i probably would have way less of a problem with if it had the same production as um you know as as iowa or you know or even the two records that came after that. And honestly, what did you guys think of Corey Taylor's clean singing on All Hope Is Gone? It was, well, you know my opinion. It's Corey Taylor in 2008. This is when he was really coming into his voice. You know, it's 2018. The guy still gets credit for singing basically whatever he wants. So All Hope Is Gone is just album four in Slipknot. It's definitely not album four in Corey Taylor world because he did everything. He sang with Apocalyptica. He was doing Stone Sour. He did multiple guest spots with other bands. Corey Taylor is a household name for a reason. He's one of those people that can just fucking do it. Yeah, and he got started off in a pissed off metal band. So there is hope for all of us. <laughs> so right? you're saying all hope is not gone? All hope is not gone. So let's, uh, let's move on to the last one. Uh, this is the great chapters. Before we get to that, you keep talking about Volume 3, and I find it interesting that, as a fan, it's viewed negatively from a sonic perspective. The reality is, you can hear everything that's going on. Nothing is hidden from you. And where most bands get stripped down to the bare minimum by Rick Rubin notoriously, Slipknot still has basically nine guys worth of shit going on. And... There is something to be said for that, and I don't remember which member of the band was talking about it in an interview, but it came to light that they thought Volume 3 was the best sonic-sounding Slipknot record. It well, sounded like Slipknot to the band. Well, they're simply wrong. I hate to say that. <laughs> about, I hate to say that, but I mean, yeah, there is shit hidden from me. You know, we're talking the breaths between the between the lyrics. We're talking the the, the ring out of the instruments whenever they're done. You know, whenever you whenever you hit a heavy chord, and you let it ring out and kind of let it get there and get there in the air. You're missing the aggressive. You're you're missing the pure aggression. 
of of the songs. You know, you're you're missing you're missing the drum mics picking up other drums in the take. You're missing all of that shit. And that's the kind of shit that's passionate. True. Because it yeah. can be it can taste like vanilla ice cream and go down real smooth and everything. But like you're not really tasting anything. You're not appreciating when, you know, this band used to be Rocky Road and then you are now listening to this vanilla ice cream. You know, it's kind of the same. I'm sorry, that's a really weird descriptor. Maybe I just want <laughs> no. ice cream. I just want to diet. So, uh, I was just thinking about ice cream myself. Actually, yeah. So. so, like, it's so, so. What's the difference between that in 2005 and what Rush was doing in the 70s? Well, Rush didn't have digital technology, so even if they were trying to have a uh, super sterile antiseptic sound, it was not possible in the 70s in this, uh, at the same level that it's possible now. I mean, you're still working with fucking analog tape at that point, but like with, with something like Volume 3, this was very common uh, with with popular bands at the time because I used to always joke, I was like, yeah, this this new record, look at uh, look, a good example, and we'll get into this next month, but look at Il Nino with Revolution Revolution versus Confession that came out. I remember Joe and I actually went and saw Freddy versus Jason when it came out. And I remember we heard this song at the end. It had a little bit of kind of almost like a Latin Spanish sound to it. We thought it was Il Nino. We thought it was Il Nino <laughs> and it did turn out to be it did turn out to in fact be Il Nino, but whenever I got that record, I couldn't believe how much more muted, how much more sterile it sounded than Revolution Revolution. Which was a very raw, heavy record. See, Still now well now produced. Now you're making me want to talk about Revolution. Yeah, Revolution. well, we'll get to that in May, but for the time being, fourteen days. The point that I'm trying to make here is that I think really what makes heavy music good in a lot of cases is that raw passion, and sometimes you have to let a little bit of that shit get on the record. In order for it to sound greedy, gritty, I'll use another example to explain it. Look at the original Star Wars trilogy versus the prequel trilogy. Good. One of the biggest attractions to the original Star Wars and their special effects was that this was a dirty universe that had been lived in. Mm-hmm. So there's dirt on the ships. There's sand everywhere. There's you know all this all these imperfections in everything that we experience in real life. And then you go to like the Phantom Menace and everything is CGI'd out and it's clean and sterile. Like there's a ship in that movie that's completely chrome. Like, I mean, that's just like the perfect example of what they were going for here. You don't have a lot of that grit. You don't have a lot of that shit in it. That's what happens but for when whatever you go from reason. shooting in Tunisia as compared to a soundstage. Possible, but the thing is, is that <laughs> it was an intentional decision by George Lucas in the 70s, or he retconned and said it was intentional. That it would Way be, to be PC about it. There, that dude. it would be uh, a lived-in, viable universe. Okay, so I think with Slipknot, I think we had a great Slipknot record there with Volume Three. I just don't think we heard it. If they had played the songs live in front of us, we'd have heard it. I would have been like, "Holy shit, it's Iowa Part Two. You know, like it's it's because I've seen these songs live. And I know how intense they can be. You might not think that Before I Forget is a fucking, you know, mosh pit song. You might not think that when you're listening on the record, but when you're at the show, your adrenaline is so on, like, 24 out of 10 that you're just you're just going on like a locomotive during a song that really, if you were by yourself in a quiet room, you'd be like, ah, oh, this is kind of just kind of more poppy slipknot. 
I mean, I agree to an extent. Sometimes when I listen to an album, I don't want to hear everything. Like, I'm fine with hearing, like, you know, the guitar, you know, ringing out and things like that. But the breathe, like the breathing, like in between stuff, that that's not always my favorite. I know of a couple bands where I love them, but part of me is like they breathe so much in the in the music, you know. But uh, but yeah, nobody breathes as much as Flyleaf. <sighs> oh, I don't know, man. I love the Killers, but Brandon Flowers <laughs> loves to breathe. In between, it's oh, do I breathe on the podcast all the time? Yeah, pretty much the whole time. <laughs> and that's no where I one thought knows. Joe, I was to say, I thought that's where Joe was going to go. <laughs> he cuts all the so, breathing out. Well, it's funny hearing me and Joe have this conversation because you know I I'm more of the agent of chaos. I, I'm the guy that's like, hey, that sounded pretty cool. Like, I'm not going to make you redo something unless like you fucked it up. I'm not as necessarily concerned with how it sounded from the production standpoint. Because that's just, I guess, the more punk rock side of me. But like Joe, on the other hand, there is a perfect sounding podcast out there somewhere. <laughs> and eventually, whenever he gets all the stupid humans out of it, it'll be great. <laughs> so whenever you we're know, no longer on the this podcast. Is a guy, this is a guy that goes into a podcast and silences my breathing. And that's when he will reach full Super Saiyan. And we're not going to hear this on there because he's going to edit all hey, of the Hey, he sound. can do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> I'm leaving it all in yeah, my all right. He can do whatever he wants to do after we're gone. So what about point five of the great chapter? You guys ready to talk about this Let's now? Let's do it. I, I am really ready to talk about hey, this. Uh, hey, Melissa, can we do a thing real quick? What's up? That was all. That's right. An album that has a song on it called Fucking Custer. I'm in. I really like The Devil and I. That's fucking good, too. Yeah, The Devil and I is We didn't really mention it, though. After All Hope is Gone, there was some shit that went down. Um, Joey Jordanson at one point left the band. Their longtime bass player became deceased. Became which is deceased. A, a good way to put it. Nice way of saying he died. And there was definitely, from the fans' perspective, a lot of questions as to whether or not there would be another Slipknot. Corey Taylor maintained that Slipknot would never go away. It just wasn't something he could do right then. And this is what we got in 2014. I like everything that I hear. It's a damn good Slipknot record. But if you called this Corey Taylor's heavy metal, slipknot-sounding band, I would have probably still liked it for what it is. There's aspects of it that remind me of a band that once existed called Slipknot. Um, The most obvious thing that you can tell is not the same is the drumming. And far be it from me to insist that the drummer is the sound of the band, but if you ever wanted a good possibility that that was the case, see Korn's first records and see everything by Slipknot that isn't this record. Title in this The Great Chapters uh, is it's aptly named because this is eh, average, boring, and muted for me. This is by far my least favorite of their albums and it's not even close. I was actually really truthfully thoroughly disappointed when this came out this just wasn't my jam and i don't know if it's like you know dan said i'd just become desensitized by the time this album came out and i had already moved on to heavier things but this just it was you know it was boring to me 
I just think that it's we're finally at the point now with a band like Slipknot that was very pioneering when they came out. But I think in the years between 1997, 1998, and 2018, heavy music has more or less caught up with Slipknot and overcome Slipknot in a lot of ways. And, you know, a lot of the metal diehards are going to say that it was always, you know, prior to Slipknot, it was, you know, always, uh, they were always lame or whatever. And I disagree with that a lot. But um, I think that with this record... Not to bring up desensitizing or or anything like that, but it's just that I hear it and I'm not that impressed by it. I'm not blown away anymore. But like, and you could say, well, you know, it could just be that you've heard so much Slipknot or that you've listened to heavier bands and moved on. But again, I I could pit Iowa up against a lot of the heavy stuff that's out now, like a lot of the deathcore and a lot of the, you know, heavy stuff out there. And Iowa still wins from a pure aggression standpoint. Agreed. Whereas these records don't. Well, when you compare it, though, to like their, like in the time span that they've made these albums, I mean, considering how long they've been playing together, it's still... It's still a fairly solid album, you know. Like well, it's yeah. not like they're going downhill really or anything. The only thing I noticed really, like especially with this song, like the uh, sounds like the mics on the the drums are a bit clicky, which isn't really my favorite. Like in the bass drums, super yeah, I'm clicky. not a big fan of that either. Uh, but yeah, I thought we got over that shit yeah. after the <laughs> mid 2000s. I agree with I agree with Jeff though that it does sound a little bit muted. Mm. It's not as bad as it was on uh, Volume Three, but there's a little bit of that. I don't think that the songs punch as hard as they would live. And I, I think the, the pace is kind of slowed down a little bit, too. It's like, it's almost like they it's like this is tired Slipknot. Like, they're still doing it, damn it. They're still... But it's like, we. I, I only have one more hour left on my shift. You know, yeah, kinda. And, and then I actually have to go to the band that I prefer to, to work in, and that's Stone Sour. Right. I mean, that's kind of what I... That's what I got out of this. It... It's almost like Slipknot has become the afterthought for Corey Taylor from a vocal and lyrical aspect as compared to Stone Sour. I, I, I think that as time has gone on, he's focused more on Stone Sour because that's what the public is focusing on. People are more interested in Corey Taylor than they are Slipknot at this is, point, I is think. Is Stone Sour that big around this time? Like, I don't really know much about... Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, They've so progressively were, gotten bigger, bigger. and okay, bigger so you're over the past like ten years. He, he just didn't yeah. put enough time into. Yeah, I just think I just yeah was, I just like, think he put more time into Stone Sour than he does into Slipknot at this point uh, in time. Well, I just I yeah. just think his priorities changed. I mean that happens when you get older. I mean I I. Yeah, and it's it's also been like 15 years since our first album. So I mean you're getting right. older and things. You can't always be as you right, know. right. And, and it it's not like. Uh, He's in a really interesting situation where he is fronting two very prominent bands. You know, like both of them are, are this, well, I think both of them are platinum selling bands. You know, how many times do you get to say, yeah, I've, I fronted a couple of different bands and they both are platinum selling. They're both, you know. He's also one of the most sought after guest vocalists, vocalists as well. in modern music. Right. Not heavy metal, not hard rock, not any one specific genre he's in everything yeah he actually does well what's with stone sour but he does one of my favorite covers because it happens to be one of my favorite songs of all time and that's uh wicked games by chris isaac i mean i'm like dude this guy's got it whenever chris isaac is hitting the stuff in falsetto the 
and then Corey Taylor said in, in his chest voice, I'm like, damn! <laughs> I'm like, that's crazy! So is that one of the reasons that Slipknot is not as appealing in 2018? It's just that, yeah, it exists, but so does everything else Corey Taylor does. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I, I think it's because he has, he has saturated the market. He is everywhere, all the time, in everything. And I think that he does a better job in the other stuff as compared to Slipknot at this point in time. Well, now there's some talk about next year being a new album out for Slipknot. He well, has ho- maintained. He, he proves us all wrong yeah. and he kicks our ass. That's he what I has hope. maintained yeah. since day one that Slipknot is never going to go away. Yeah. So there's this supposed to be. He, he knows all about his maggots out. and he's never going to stop. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's his gravy train. It's his meal ticket. I get it. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's Corey Taylor. It's all his meal ticket. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I've told, I told Dan this earlier. I, I am insanely jealous of Corey Taylor because he's so diverse. He has such a great range. I wish I was him. I mean, vocally. I mean, he's one of the best out there. He can do whatever you ask him to do. And there's not many vocalists that can do that. <laughs> you know, they have their genre, they have their styles, and they're stuck with it. And as time has progressed, uh, Corey Taylor has proven that he can do just about anything you ask him to. And I think that's why one of the reasons why he's – well, it is the reason why he's so sought after. I mean, he is amazing. He's versatile. He's one of, he's one of the best vocalists going in music, period today and it, it in i'd like to see you argue that point he is unbelievable so Corey taylor if you're out there listening <laughs> jeff wants to meet you apparently <laughs> but hey <laughs> oh joe's got to cut that one out <laughs> so that's going to be jeff's final thought <laughs> dan what about you what's your final thought on slipknot i think slipknot is a great band or they used to be a great band I'm going to be the hipster in the room and say I'm not that overly interested in anything they did after Iowa. Um, I feel like Slipknot represents a point in my life that was very transitional from uh, from from just whatever everybody else listens to to truly heavy shit. It encouraged me to get into stuff that was a lot more extreme. And, uh, and you know, it was definitely really important to me. And, uh, and so I always love the band for that. I think Corey Taylor's killer as a singer. Um, his screaming vocals are still on point. I mean, he, he can do it all, and I think that's really great. I just don't think that Slipknot is capable at this time of ever delivering what they did originally. And me being kind of an opinionated asshole type, I'm, I'm kind of just here for, you know, like I can appreciate the songs, but I'm never going to get what I originally got from the band again. So my interest in the band is more or less passive now. Melissa? Uh, yeah. I mean, they were a little more, for me, they were a little more relevant around, you know, Iowa in Volume 3 uh, times. So, uh, I mean, it's nice going back and listening to that and kind of, you know, channeling the feelings you had around that time or just being like, oh, yeah, it was, you know, it was a good time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, like, you know, besides this podcast, listen to them <laughs> until like anything they've done lately though now i'm a little interested about that next album just to see what you know that might sound like but uh but yeah and they have some great great singles and stuff on there but good drummer 
The masks are cool. I feel like they'd be really sweaty <laughs> during the live show. Like, I noticed they change them out every couple, like, years or whatever it looks like, or a couple albums, and uh, it's probably because they smell really bad. What a wonderful <laughs> smell like, you've discovered. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, nice, this, Han. this mask needs to go. I think Slipknot is one of the heaviest modern nostalgia bands that exists. They're still around. They're still a thing. They were the heaviest thing ever at one point in my life to the majority of people that I know. I distinctly remember talking to people about the heaviest albums, and somebody eventually would mention Iowa as it was the heaviest album that had ever been released. Yeah, and Dan's about, over in the corner talking about, you know, about Lies that. of Servants, A River of Tears from <laughs> Zayo as the heaviest song that trumps every album. No, even, even that, no. But they're worth a listen, but they have definitely become a nostalgia act. It's kind of like, you know, Def Leppard's still around, but everybody goes to their shows to hear them play Photograph. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to see Slipknot live, but I'm waiting for them to play Duality. And... It'd be nice if they played Disaster Piece and the Heretic Anthem, and, you know, they basically do. But I kind of feel like at this point, Slipknot has become the Corey Taylor project that you go see that night. It might be Stone Sour in one city and then Slipknot in the other city. And there's nothing wrong with Slipknot. If you like Slipknot, listen to Slipknot. If you've never listened to Slipknot, it's 2018. Good God, what's wrong with you? Go pick up a copy of Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses, and now decide which direction you'd like to go. If you want to go backwards, enjoy Iowa. You will, I promise. If you want to go forwards, um, turn around when you get to Custer and then go check out Iowa anyway. <laughs> so what's going on this summer, Dan? I know we got something lined up in August. This summer, we are going to the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo 2018. We went last year. Last year, we went as three guys. This year, we're going as discography discussion. So we will be there. We will have microphones. We will have our own booth. It's going to be a really great time. And we're not the only ones that are going to be there. There are going to be tons of rock and metal podcasts there, ones that we love and respect. A lot of people that I can't wait to talk to face-to-face again this year. Can't wait to drink a little bit with these guys, talk to them, interview them. But on top of just a bunch of podcasters hanging out, they're going to actually have a lot of notable musicians there. Some of the biggest ones haven't even been announced yet, but I guarantee you if you're into hard rock or heavy metal music and you like podcasting, that is definitely a place to be is at Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. We will have a link to the Expo's website in our show notes as well as a link to the GoFundMe. Now, the GoFundMe is interesting because we're trying to raise about fifteen grand to put this event on. That includes uh, rental for the actual venue that they're going to be having it at. That is rental for the booths, for for the vendors. There's going to be tons of people there selling vinyl. It's going to be a really great time. So one of the things that we're trying to do to help out is we're trying to help them raise that money as the podcast. So in order to do that, we've actually added some perks to helping fund the podcast. So if you go to the GoFundMe page for Rock and Pod Expo 2018, you can actually donate on behalf of Discography Discussion. If you're one of our listeners and you plan on attending this event or you just want to help the event happen, uh, this would be a really good opportunity for you to get some really cool Discography Discussion stuff. Uh, our perks are if you were to donate $35 to our or to the Rock and Pod Expo GoFundMe, you'll actually get to A, pick the band that we're going to talk about on an upcoming show. Um, it will not be a show that we'll be doing at the Expo, but it will be a show 
in the future, you will get to pick the band. No questions asked. The only stipulation to that is that we have to have not already talked about the band prior. Uh, but the other cool thing is, too, is we only have three of these available, but we actually have three discography discussion painted beer glasses. These are custom, and you're not going to ever be able to get them anywhere else. This is this is literally the only time we're going to be offering this is for listeners of our podcast that want to donate to Rock and Pod. So 35 bucks, the first three people end up getting those those glasses. If you want to donate more, you could donate more. $35 is certainly not the limit, uh, but it is, the, it, is the, it is the requirement for getting the beer glasses because those things did cost a little bit of money for us to make. And even though we're eating that cost, we're happy that that cost that we ate is going towards the expo. We do also have the option where if you want to, let us know via email if you donate. We actually can have your name engraved on it as well making that your own unique discography discussion beer glass so you could drink along with us during your discussions. Yeah, we might actually have to make a little drink segment uh, uh, to go along with those. Absolutely. So It's not we, like we don't drink enough as it is. Like I said, we only had the means to have three of them made. Uh, so the first three to donate $35 to the GoFundMe for Rock and Pod Expo 2018, uh, they're going to get those glasses, no questions asked. So beyond that, Joe... One of the big things, too, that we really want people to know is we want them to know where our listeners are, who our listeners are. So if you do donate to this GoFundMe page, we would really like for you to say that you have donated on behalf of Discography Discussion. So there's a comment section when you donate. You can just put Discography Discussion or whatever you want, just pointing people at the podcast and letting them know that you're making a donation because you believe in what we're doing at this expo. Plus That's all I got you, to say on that. Yeah, plus we can give you a shout-out, too. We could definitely give you a shout-out on that. So what's your album of the week, Dan? My album of the week? Oh, man. Why is this always so hard? Because like we're always listening to albums. So as much as I want to say it's Iowa, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to default to Project 86, Sheep Among Wolves. Nice. Just got the vinyl. Oh, very cool. This week, yeah. Awesome. Jeff, what about you? Oh, I kind of hinted at it earlier. Uh, it's refused. So, The Shape of Punk to Come? Of course it is. <laughs> Dude, that... Uh, I, I'm going to give a shout-out to a friend of mine, Adam Shaper, because uh, we kind of had talked about that earlier. Uh, he's uh, another guy who puts out a lot of uh, music-oriented uh, material. But he... Uh, he kind of brought that back to me and I, and I realized when the first time I heard new noise and saw that video, how important uh, that ended up becoming uh, and Dennis's vocals are so sick on, on that stuff anyway, but that song in particular and that video in particular, it just really helped, you know, put me down the path of heavy music in general. And that, you know, I guess that's more hardcore. It was like hardcore punk is more what they were about. But my God, that stuff was good. It was a lot of fun back then. So I need to get you into Snapcase. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big Snapcase fan. Yeah, good stuff. Melissa? Uh, uh, my album of the week is going to be uh, St. Vincent, self-titled. Uh, she... God damn, so, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good album. Uh, if you're looking for if you're looking for some uh, some chunky fuzzy guitar with some smart lyrics, I would check that out. Start out you know maybe with like uh, 
you know, birth in reverse. There's regret, rattlesnake, digital witness, all pretty good, you know, songs and stuff. So yeah. We mentioned Mushroom Head earlier. Double X, aka the Great Compilation. Nice. And on that note, this has been episode 61 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Give us that $1 and you get access to some exclusive podcasts. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere you listen to podcasts as well. What's that website, Melissa? Uh, it's goodeveningpod.podbean.com, and then there's also a Facebook page that you can check out. Good job, everybody. You got it, Dan. I don't got it. <laughs> I don't. Like, this is what show notes are for. All I've oh got is insane. All I've got. See the All I've got. All I've got is insane. Seriously, I was laughing during the show because I had this vision of I had this vision of Corey Taylor being on stage and being like, nobody is heavier than me. I'm Corey Taylor. I'm the heaviest guy in the world. And then Dan will walk on stage and he'd be like, you think you're heavier than me? Pull out a Mr. Spell. What's that? Is that a fucking Mr. Spell? It's a fucking kid's toy. Dan's like, give me a second. Starts typing. <laughs> Five minutes later, hit play, holds it up. Jennifer, playfully <laughs> wrestled her friend to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Joe, is it okay if I use the bathroom before we do this segment? I don't have a choice. Okay. 